voice booms out of the darkness. Hey, who are you? What are you doing here? And this massive Roman soldier steps into view. And Akiva realizes his mistake. But being a rabbi, he answers this question with a question of his own. And he smirks and says, how much do they pay you? And the soldier's totally thrown off by this question, but he barks back at Akiva. I said, who are you? What are you doing here? But Akiva holds his ground and he asks again, how much do they pay you? The Roman soldier gives in. He's like super annoyed and I, one drachma a day. And Akiva answers this, young man, I, I will double your pay if every day you stand outside my front door and demand that before I head into my day that I have an answer for those questions. Who are you and what are you doing here? So who are you and then what are you doing here? How, how does my faith in Jesus answer how I answer those questions? How does our culture shape our response to those questions of identity? Is there a conflict between how Jesus calls us to answer those questions and how our culture calls us to answer those questions? Last time we were together, the, the invitation was to go on an Emmaus Road walk with Jesus, and the invitation was to see Jesus walking right alongside of us. And uh, when our eyes are opened, like the disciples, it changes everything. I don't know if you've had a moment like that where God showed himself uh, to be present when you thought, I, don't, I have no idea how God's a part of this situation. But if that's happened to you, I see some, some of you nodding. When, when that happens, when God opens your eyes and shows, shows you that he's been there the whole time, it changes everything, doesn't it? It changes how we think about ourselves, it changes what we think about our reality. And it's really beautiful, but it's also extremely challenging. Um, as Christians, the story of Scripture and the person of Jesus are meant to be shaping the whole of who we are. Uh, God doesn't leave us the same way as he found us. Um, and, and yet, there's this tension that we feel uh, in our surrounding culture, where we work and who we know and who we live with, because our culture provides alternative answers to questions of identity. The, the cultural message that we hear in so many different ways is that we should choose who we want to be, that we have the right to craft our own identity, and however we see fit, rather than receiving our identity as, as a gift from God. The trouble is that choosing and crafting our own identity, um, it usually ends up with uh, leading to an identity crisis. And so we're gonna talk about that today. Uh, for all that we're gonna uh, spend time uh, thinking about this morning, um, there's, there's a central question running through the whole thing, and it's three words. Who am I? Now, is that a simple question or a tricky question? Have you ever asked that? Like, who am I? What am I doing here? What's my purpose? Is that, a, is that a simple question or is that a tricky one? What would you say? Tricky, yeah. There, there's, a, there's nothing new about that question. Um, people in every generation have asked that question. Um, we, we can't live our lives without an answer to that question. Um, after a while, you, you just wonder, you know, is, is life worth living and is what I'm doing worth doing if I, if I don't have an answer 
to that question. So it's, it's not a new question, but there's something unique in um, the way that we are asking this question today. Um, if you see images like this, the atomic bomb, or like this, Auschwitz, or even more recent events with the Parkland school shootings, it will change how you answer the question, who am I and what am I doing here? Um, these, these are moments in human history that cause us to wonder, like, can I, really, can I really trust that humans are on a trajectory that's leading to goodness and justice and equality and life? Like, if, if we're capable of these things, can I really trust that we're, we're headed somewhere good? Can I be hopeful about the future? Um, are we progressing? At the same time, um, Christians or people who are, are outside of the Christian faith, that you bring God into this conversation and people start to wonder, how could God allow something like those things to happen? Can we rely on the Christian story to bring life to the world? Or is, uh, some people would say that the Christian story is part of the problem and that we'd be better off if, if, that, sort of, if that sort of thing wasn't part of the conversation at all. These, these kinds of traumatic events have, have chipped away at our confidence in God, and they've chipped away at our confidence in humanity. And as a result, a lot of people are not sure where they can go to find meaning. And that's because people aren't sure where they can find meaning, it's led to an, into an identity crisis. Uh, Charles Taylor describes an identity crisis uh, as an acute form of disorientation which people express in terms of not knowing who they are. When we don't know who we are and when we don't know where we stand, we don't know where to find meaning. And if we look around at what's happening around us in our relationships and even what's happening inside of us, even in our own thoughts and how we respond to things, um, there's, there's three characteristics about our modern world that is, is, is struggling to find meaning. And those things would be dislocation, invention, and illusion. And we're going to talk about those three things. Uh, first of all, uh, dislocation. And um, any Bob Dylan fans in, in the group? All right, well done, guys. Um, I'm, I'm a fake fan. I, I know of his songs a, a, a little bit. But um, yeah, so, so you're, you're probably familiar with one of his more popular songs, The Times They Are a Changing. And um, in this song, Dylan takes Jesus' language from the Sermon on the Mount, and he essentially calls on his parents' generation to get out of the way so that the next generation can, can rise and take their place. Um, for, for Dylan and for a lot of people that this song really resonated with, they felt like if we're going to progress, if we're going to step into what's next for us, we need to cut ourselves off from the past. The present needs to be cut off and dislocated from the past. And that song resonated with a lot of people. It seemed like a really great solution to a generation that felt like the previous generation had failed them. They just felt like, you haven't handed us anything good. We have to break away and do something completely new. The times they are a-changing. But um, this, this dislocation, uh, this kind of attitude results in a, in a loss of memory. When, when we choose to forget and to discount what's happened before us, and when we, we're suspicious and, and rejecting uh, things that the, the, the previous generation wants to pass on down to us, um, we become suspicious of any kind of identity-forming story that the, the previous generation would want to hand down to us. 
And that means if, if you and I are trying to just form our own identity, but we're cutting it off from the past, then, then our stories get lifted out of time and space. We're not rooted in what's happened before us. We're no longer connected to where we've come from, who's come before us. Uh, we're rootless. Um, you've, you've, you've probably seen uh, around town, uh, especially like the Oakland A's, they want you to know uh, we're rooted in Oakland. This is, this is where we are. Uh, because, you know, they're, they're, they know uh, all the other teams are leaving you. So they're letting you know, we're, we're here to stay. Um, we're not going to break up with you. Um, but um, but, but uh, that, that resonates with a lot of people around here. But also, um, just being rootless, I, I wonder if this is why DNA tests have become really popular. Has anybody, has anybody done one of these to find out your ancestry? And now, no? Okay, so only Taylor and I are not scared about being on some kind of database and um, our information being used in this way. Okay, fine. Um, so last year, my parents bought all of the kids uh, for Christmas a DNA test. Um, I just thought, this will be fun. Um, I don't know why we thought we would be surprised with the results. We're just, just typical white bread people, like nothing, nothing, nothing very exciting, but we thought maybe there'll be something exciting in our story. Um, there wasn't, but um, in typical Andy style, um, I didn't read the instructions, and um, it said not to eat anything beforehand because you had to give a saliva sample, and I spit into the test tube after eating pesto, and, um, and so then I just laughed as I was imagining the, the lab technicians opening up the envelope and there's just this like green solution with chunks of basil at the top and, and just wondering like what their face was gonna be like. Uh, I was hopeful maybe it would, uh, it would trip their measurements and give me like an Italian ancestry or something like that. It didn't, it didn't. But, um, but uh, I think these kinds of things are popular. I think our, our, our modern world is, is longing to have a story that gives us um, roots. And because if we know where we come from, then we know who we are. Um, it doesn't just affect our sense of the past. It also gives us a sense for where we're going. It affects our, our vision of the future and what's possible. And um, as Christians, um, we are located in a story. We, we actually do have roots. Um, our story has a past and a present and a future. And at a time when social identities are, are rootless, um, this is a, a really a way that we can be a gift, is to be a group of people who are, who are rooted in a story and to offer that story uh, to other people who are in, in search of roots, who are in search of connection. And what, what's my family? What's my story? And what's going on in the world? It's time to recover our memory because without memory, we're dislocated. And being dislocated leads to another characteristic of our modern age, which is invention. Ours is, ours is an age where you are told, invent yourself. Whoever you want to be, whatever you've been dreaming, uh, just your, your imagination is, is, the only, is the only boundary. And everybody's told that they have a right to craft and create their own identity. Um, sometimes it's, I am what I buy, whatever I can purchase, whatever I can afford. So, you know, the way, the way things are sold to us, this fragrance is going to make you sexually desirable. Or this car is going to let people know that you're environmentally conscious. Or this coffee shop is going to say, I've got really refined taste. I, 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 yeah, Starbucks, Psh, no way. You should check out this third wave place that I've been to. These guys have a story. Um, they're, they're, they're connected, you know, from farm to table with all the food and everything. It's amazing. My neighborhood could say, I'm, I'm better than you. 
my neighborhood could say I'm better than you because it's gritty and I'm not into, you know, all that comfort and, you know, gated community kind of stuff. Or it could say, yeah, I'm actually in the gated community because I think I'm better than you and all the other people there uh, who are out, outside the gate. Like we could, we could say, you, you ask people what district they're in in Oakland. People, people bring that up all the time. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm Fruitville or I'm, I'm Redwoods or I'm, I'm North Oakland, I'm South Oakland, I'm West. And they're wanting you to know that that says something about who they are uh, based on, on where they live. Uh, it's all a way that you can design your own identity. Um, another way people uh, will go to design, try to design their identity, it's, it's based around I, I am what I feel. Um, I am what I want and I even am who I want, who, who I desire, my passions, my desires, my sexual identity. Um, that's who I am. That's my core truth. And, and if we feel something, what we're told is that we should never question those feelings, ever. Don't question them, don't filter them, because our feelings are, are our truth. So wherever, wherever you're feeling led, uh, that's the most important thing. Uh, Kaiser has tapped into this with uh, their Thrive, Thrive uh, Your Way billboards. And uh, the, the, the message is, whatever you feel, wherever life takes you, um, it is your way, and we're going to be the healthcare so, uh, company that's going to support your way. There's, there's deep irony to all this because identity culture is founded on the illusion of uniqueness. It's, it's an illusion that we could be these, uh, these unique people. Um, I, I am told that I can craft my identity based on what I choose or what I can afford to buy, what I feel, also that I can be unique, but it's, it's an illusion. And uh, I'm going to sound a little conspiracy theorist here, but um, I'm sure, I, I know you guys are not clueless about this, being what part of the Bay we live in, but all day, every day, our conversations and our purchases and our music choices and our entertainment choices are being recorded and analyzed. If you have Amazon, Echo, Dot, any of that in your house, you, you are being listened in on. And if you didn't know that and you want to go home immediately and, and throw it away, I'm, I'm just saying, all those, all those forms that we get from Facebook and different things where we just we don't want to read the eight pages of the agreement, we just click OK, we, we have a, allowed people to, to, to listen in on us. And we are put into an algorithm that knows that they just broke up with us or we're looking for a different job or we want to start eating healthier. And then later that day, at the exact time when we're the most suggestible, that's right when we get a pop-up that is an ad for Ben and Jerry's ice cream uh, or a vacation getaway with some really sexy and happy looking people or job openings at Google or a HelloFresh membership. And you're just like, how did they know? It's because we're part of a system that we have, we have enlisted into this system. We've said, yep, I'm, I'm okay with, with being uh, surveilled and listed in on this way. And, but the whole system is set up by people who want our money. And uh, they're really, folks are really good at, at putting this stuff right in front of us right when uh, we are most, most suggestible. Now, I'm going to be the first to admit, I have, in the last month, I have bought three shirts and one pair of pants based off of Instagram ads that popped up in my feed. Uh, these pants, for example, that right here, they were on the Instagram thing. And I was like, hey, that looks cool. Um, and, uh, but do I have a unique look? If you, if you just post up in this neighborhood for like 10 minutes, you're going to see Andy doppel, doppelgangers everywhere. 
Uh, there, it's, it's the guy with the, 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 the funky glasses, a little bit of scruff, and uh, maybe an Oakland A's hat to support the local flavor. And he's drinking third wave coffee and reading some kind of weird book. And he's wearing a funky shirt and pants to distract your eyes from his dad bod. Um, that you, you will find, just post up anywhere and in 10 minutes you will see 10 of me. So am I really crafting a unique identity? Or, or am I consuming an identity that somebody else has crafted for me? I don't like to think about it, but guys, I'm just not that unique, okay? I'm just not. We, we can't be deceived. Um, if we live in this consumer culture, there are people who are deeply invested in making sure that you and I are always making a link between what I feel and what I buy and who I am. It is, a, it is a statement of my identity. And there are people who are deeply invested to make sure we are always making that connection. So we keep buying stuff. And if we're caught up in this, then we have to keep maintaining our identity with new purchases and new, new, new experiences and new expressions of those desires. And it's a really well-disguised form of slavery. It's, it's a way of life that nobody can really keep up with. You can keep up with it for a little bit and then you're just exhausted. But, all, but more than that, as Christians, it's, it's a way of life that doesn't have anything to say to us when it comes to suffering, when it comes to being faithful. It doesn't have anything to say to us when it comes to discipleship and following Jesus. So, some of us have been or will be in a situation where somebody depends on us and that person has a mental or a health crisis or a, 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 a physical debilitation, something that happens to them, and suddenly there are these severe limitations on our time and our spending and everything, and uh, we could start to resent that person because they're holding us back from our own personal fulfillment. Or um, our partner hasn't been doing it for us lately when it comes to their personal appearance or how they perform in the bedroom, and we find ourselves on dating websites and we're looking up girlfriends and boyfriends from the past. What are they up to? Man, yeah, I mean, things were pretty great with that person, and it's, you know, it's, it's a little rough right now. I, I wonder if I'd have more chemistry with that other person from the past. What are we doing? Uh, even, even in church circles, we can feel like, man, I don't, I don't know, These, the, this, this group of people, I've gotten to know them for a few weeks or a few months, and, and they're just kind of leaving me kind of bored and just kind of uninspired. And you know, I, I, saw, I saw some stuff on Instagram. There's this new community that popped up, and everybody there just looks really attractive and happy. It looks like there's a lot going on at that place. Maybe, maybe I'll check that place out. Faithfulness and suffering and discipleship. Uh, this, this here and now kind of lifestyle um, doesn't have anything to say to these parts of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If, if, if our lives are founded on these here and now aspects of life, we don't know what to do when we face suffering. We don't know what to do when we're being called to be faithful to someone or something. We don't know what to do, uh, how to be formed into the image of Jesus because we've already been formed into some other image completely. Well, this is depressing. You guys want some good news? You guys want a way forward? Yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> I do too. Um, and in case you're wondering, man, when are we going to get to the Bible part? I thought this was a church. Um, I, 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 I needed to kind of set up um, this, this world and maybe name some things that were going on around us, but then to see how uh, Jesus wants to speak into all of this. So I promise uh, we will have a Bible verse very soon. Um, so last time we were together, we saw how Jesus met two of his disciples 
on the road to Emmaus, and he met them in their confusion. He met them in their disappointment. He met them in their disillusionment. And they, after he disappeared, like he does, um, they had this moment where they turned to each other and they're like, when he was walking with us on the road, w wasn't your heart burning inside of you when he was opening up the scriptures to you? Yeah, me too. Jesus, while he walked with them on that road, he, he showed them how the whole thing held together and was pointing towards him. He gave them a story that made sense of everything. And um, Jesus meets us also on our Emmaus roads. He offers us this identity that can never be taken from us. And it's an identity that never changes. It's an identity, even if the circumstances of our life change, this, this is an identity that will hold. And Jesus himself received this identity as a gift, and it happened at the moment of his baptism. So Matthew 3, 16 to 17. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So at his baptism, I, I, uh, different ones of us have been baptized. I'm guessing this didn't happen for you. Um, yeah, I'm just like, wow, uh, did I miss something there? But um, at, at his baptism, Jesus hears the voice of the Father saying to him, you're, you're my kid, you're my boy, you're my son, and I love you, and I'm, I'm crazy about you. I'm so pleased with you. Jesus heard his Father's approval before he had accomplished anything in his earthly ministry. Just think about that for a minute. Jesus hasn't healed anybody. He hasn't spoken the, the Sermon on the Mount. He hasn't confronted um, really bad religion. He hasn't done anything. And before the Son does anything, the Father wants him to hear, you are my beloved child. And I want you to hear that loud and clear before you have done anything. This is who you are. You're my beloved and this is so important because immediately after his baptism, Jesus is going to be tested in the wilderness by the devil. And the testing begins with the words, if you're the son of God, then if. It's, it's, it's such a little word, but it can create so much doubt. Oh yeah, that's, that's what you heard? Well, if, if that's true... Why did Jesus need to hear the blessing of his father before he went into the wilderness? Because he's, gonna, he's about to go through a very subtle attack on, attack on his identity. He is going to be offered an alternative path to find and found uh, his identity. You're hungry, Jesus? Nobody should be hungry. You are, you are what you feel. So, yeah, and, and don't, you know, aren't you the Messiah? Don't you have the power to, like, do something about this? Don't, don't you know you're going you're gonna to feed thousands of people later? What, what's, what's one loaf of bread right now? Here's, here's a rock. Turn it, into, turn it into bread. Take care of it right now. Jesus, you don't, you don't mean to tell me that right now you're super obscure and nobody knows who you are, and even people who do know who you are, they're not going to respect it because you're from Nazareth, bro. What good things come from Nazareth? And uh, not, not, let's, let's not even bring up your, your, your upbringing and the whole thing with your, your, your mom and that whole virgin birth thing. No, nobody's going to believe that. Don't, you don't mean to tell me you're super obscure, nobody knows who you are, and if they find out who you are, you don't have any kind of pedigree? You grew up 
like with scandal? No, no, okay, here's what we do. Just jump off the temple in full view of everybody. And the Bible says, the Bible says, Jesus, you know this, that he'll, God will send his angels to catch you. It's going to be the most amazing social media strategy that you've, you've ever seen. It's going to blow people away. Just do it with like all the, the hype and fervor of all these thousands of people gathered here in the temple. Everybody's going to be watching. Everybody's going to see it. It's going to be total validation of, of who you and I know you are, Jesus. But these people don't know. So show them. Jesus, you don't mean to tell me that you're going to suffer an agonizing death on the cross. Are you kidding me? The Messiah? The Messiah doesn't suffer. The, the, the Messiah isn't weak and, and, and beaten up like that. No, 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 no. Jesus, there's no need for this. No need. I, I, I get, I'm surprised nobody told you this yet. Okay, here's what you do. Just, just bow down to me. All these kingdoms are mine. I know you're trying to secure the kingship. Just bow down to me. I'll give them to you. No suffering, just glory. But Jesus resists these, these very ancient and very modern temptations to craft his identity every single time he resists. And the reason he's able to do it is because he has already received his identity as a gift from his father. The son never feels the need to prove anything. And for the, for the rest of his earthly ministry, people are going to question who he is. But he already knows who he is, and he continues to get away with the Father, even to just reinforce and reaffirm that identity. And, and Jesus, Jesus shows us what full humanity looks like. This is, this is not just his path. This is our path. This is, this is what it would look like for us to resist these alternative identities and to receive our identity as a gift from God. If Jesus needed to get away with the Father and hear and remind himself who he was, then who are we to feel like we, we don't, aren't going to need that on a regular basis? Jesus has already received his identity as a gift. He never feels the need to prove anything because he's already the beloved child of the Father. Our culture requires that we craft our own identity based on what we buy, what we can afford, what we wear, what we desire, who we desire. Now here's the thing, here's what's tricky about that. Some of these things, they are true about who you are. Um, you know, this, this is how I feel about these kinds of people. This is, this is who I desire uh, for relationships or sexual, sex, sexuality. Um, this is who I am right now, uh, relationship status uh, as, as a parent or who I'm dating. Um, this is what I do for work presently. These are things that are true um, about who we are, but they are not the truest thing about who we are. They might be true, but they're not the truest thing. And so if we put them at the center of who we are, that's a really fragile foundation for our identity. What we buy can get broken. It can be stolen. It can be, become outdated. It's no longer the latest and the greatest. What we desire and who we desire, that can change. The ones that we're with right now, that our relationship to them gives us a sense of who we are, People can leave us, people can die, people can betray us, or the kids grow up, and then now, now who am I? What, what happens when those identity foundations are gone? Then, then who, who are we? And that's where we have the midlife, quarterlife identity crisis. That's where we're not sure who we are. Here's, here's the good news. This, this blessing that the Father spoke over Jesus, it's, it was not just for Jesus. 
this is a blessing for you and me. You and I can hear the Father say, you're, you're my beloved. You're, you're my kid. I love you. You're, you're my son. That's my girl. I love you. I'm so pleased with you. When we look at the life of Jesus, we are being given a picture of what full humanity looks like. And if we choose Jesus' way, then we can also know what he knows, that we already have our Father's love and approval before we accomplish anything, before we are anything that we've been dreaming or hoping for. If we don't know that we already have it, then we're going to go through this life as a disciple trying to earn our Father's love and approval and never feeling totally secure in that. And there's going to be all kinds of voices around us, even from within church circles, where people are questioning our true identity as God's beloved. And those voices call us to try harder, to prove it, to earn it. But you do not have to earn a gift. I want my sons to know this from an early age. I've got two boys. They're just, they're, they're, their little identities and sense of who they are is, is just in the early, early stages right now. And I'm just, I'm feeling the weight of that right now. David and Jonathan. David's two and a half. Jonathan's two months. And David's bedtime involves uh, pajamas and books in the rocking chair. And then uh, he, he, he's lately he's wanted us to like wrap him up in a blanket, just kind of like in a little cocoon kind of a thing. And then we'll sing songs together. David doesn't know all the words, but he always belts out the last word of every line. It's great. And, um, and, and then at a certain point I can tell he gets, he's getting sleepy and he kind of tips over in, in my arms and then I'll pray for him and I'll speak words of blessing over him. And then when I put him down into his bed, the, the last words that he hears from me and is, Daddy loves David, and he always will, no matter what. I say that to him every night, and, and I mean it. I want him to know, no matter what kind of day we've had together, because man, he is going through terrible twos right now, and it's, it's, it's frustrating. It's not the worst, but Whew. But and, and also, uh, David's learning words and concepts. I want him to know whatever kind of day I've had with dad, whatever, however I'm doing when it comes to sharing or learning or, or my attitude, how many tantrums happened that day. I want him to know my dad loves me and he always will, no matter what. Because I don't love him how, based on how he performs that day. I don't love him based on what he has to offer me. I just love him because he's my son. I loved him before he could accomplish anything, especially that early baby stage when it's just diapers and puking up milk on you and making a mess of things. And, you know, even early, early on, like babies don't like look at you. They kind of look through you. And you, it's even just to form that connection. Like I'm right here. Like there's, there's a long period there where it's very one-sided. That's fine. I loved him before he could accomplish anything. I loved him not based on what he does. I love him because he's my kid. I love you present, and I always will future, no matter what, future and past. I want my son to know this down to his very core. 
But as I say this over my son, I'm also asking God, my father, to help me receive this into my own identity. I'm, I'm praying this over David, but I'm also going, God, I'm, I'm saying this over him, but could I, could I get some of this too? Because I, I don't sense in myself that I'm drawing my identity from who you say that I am. I still go to bed at night or, or get anxious based on how well I feel like I'm doing. Uh, as a pastor, as a dad, as a friend, as a son, as a, so many things, and how well I do it, how other people feel about me, how I think other people feel about me, and it's an identity that goes like this. It's an identity that is going to let me down, and it has let me down on a regular basis, and until I trust how my father feels about me and what my father says about me, um, I'm just going to go, I'm just going to be doing this constantly. My prayer for my son is also a prayer for myself. Father, let me trust who you say that I am, down to my deepest core. I'm not there yet, but I want to be. This is a prayer for where I want you to take me. Break through any, wherever the barriers are in my heart and mind, wounds from the past or messages, whatever it is, Lord, I don't even know. I don't even know what blockages are in the way from keeping me from receiving this, but I, but I sense that there are things there. You know me better than I know myself. Would you break through? Would you break through those things so that I could really trust who you say that I am? Let me trust and really believe that I'm your beloved child. That what you said to Jesus, these aren't just words on a page, but it's something that comes, that leaps off the page and comes alive in my heart, how I see myself at the very core of who I am. And today you and I are invited to receive our identity as a gift from our father who would say, you're my girl. That's my, bo that's my boy right there. I love him, I love her, not based on what she does, not based on what she, what she accomplished today, not based on how well she's performing as a, as a disciple or an employee, no matter how he feels as a, as a dad or in his recovery or anything. My son, my daughter, let, let go of those other identities that you've crafted for yourself. It's slavery. It's an illusion. Those identities will let you down. Let me give you an identity that will always be true. You are my beloved child. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. We, we are reminded on a regular basis that we are dearly loved children uh, with just the simplest thing. Jesus gave us bread in a cup, and every time we come to this bread in the cup, there's, there's some new layer of, of what it is that, that God wants to say to us through it. When, when we celebrate communion, the bread and the cup remind us that we are dearly loved children of God. Jesus loved you enough to give his life for you. Jesus believes that you are worth dying for. You're worth dying for. In his wilderness temptation, Jesus was offered a way out. He, he was offered a way around the cross. And he didn't take it because he knew that this was how he was going to rescue you. You were worth it. You are worth dying for. Today, let the bread and the cup remind you, I am God's beloved. And that is something that can never be taken from me because I never earned it. I never achieved it. 
was a gift. As you receive the bread and the cup, just let that physical act of receiving be a picture for you to go, God, let me also receive my identity as a gift from you. I didn't earn this. I didn't put this together. But here I am with my hands open saying, give me what I can't ever make for myself, what you offer to me. This is not something we have to create for ourselves. We could never do that. Our identity is a God-given gift. It is not something to be earned. It's something to be received. And your identity as God's beloved will never change because God's heart has always been for you as his kid. And if he has always been for you, and if this can never be taken away from you, you can build your entire life upon this identity. You are God's beloved. You're a beloved child of the Father. You're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. I'm so pleased with you. You're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. I'm so pleased with you. I'm crazy about you. I can't stop thinking about you. I have done everything to clear any obstacle standing between me and you because I wanted this. You were worth it. You were worth it. So we're going to celebrate communion now and uh, we'll have the communion servers come up and uh, they'll offer you and, and the worship team can come up as well too. And there, as, as you take the bread, we also have a, we have a bread and we also have a gluten-free option if, if you need that. As you rip that off and dip that into the cup, um, Taylor and Mike are going to say to you, uh, you are God's beloved. As you receive the bread and dip it into the cup, you are God's beloved. Um, so let's, as we sing, as we worship, um, why don't we uh, come forward first row at a time and then, and, then, and then so on from there. God, thank you so much for this gift of life. Thank you that our identity is something that is secure, that we can build our whole life on this, Lord God. God, you know where there are blockages. You know where we have trouble receiving this identity. You know where this is still yet to be formed in us. And so God, as a group, our prayer is this break, breakthrough. Breakthrough. Show us where we don't yet believe you. Show us where we have not yet received this into the very core of who we are. Show us where we're still building our lives on identities that are going to let us down. Let us find in you and what you say about who we are what's really true. Let us trust it. Let us build our whole life around it, Lord God. I just, I just pray for everybody in this room, Lord God, just with our hands open. You know, you know where the blockages are. You know where the questions are. You know where we have not received this yet, Lord. We're not going to try to earn this. We're not going to try to strive after this in our own strength and ability. We're, our, our hands are just open. We want to receive this as a gift. Unlike everything else that we're told to achieve for ourselves, Lord God, we just want to receive this as a gift. And I know you're bigger than all this. I know that you, you know what's needed so that we experience breakthrough in this way. And so God, we just ask you, meet us on our Emmaus Road. Meet us right in the middle of us not knowing who we are. And we trust you. You know what you're doing and you know how to break through. And so do what you do best, Lord. Convince us, show us, speak this word over us, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God, that this is a gift. Thank you that this is something that can never be taken away from us. Let us believe you. Let us trust you.